Welcome to Motivated for the Serious Implanter, a podcast series brought to you by Coloplast. Motivated is dedicated to the growth of emerging leaders and the expansion of thought leadership in sexual medicine. Join us for conversations with motivated implanters to gain insights and best practices you can take into your practice. In today's episode, patient communication plays an important role in helping men and their partners understand their options for sensitive men's health issues. What does that communication pathway look like from the office to the OR? Today we'll hear from Dr. Alexander J. Tatum, a urologist with Urology Indiana. Joining Dr. Tatum is Dr. Sharita King, Director of Prosthetic Urology and Assistant Professor at the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta University. Tweet your questions with hashtag MotivatedMH to ColoplastMD. What is up, guys? My name is Dr. Alex Tatum, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to Motivated. Motivated is a new podcast sponsored by Coloplast that is completely dedicated to talking about the key issues of prosthetic urology that we're excited about and hopefully that you're excited to learn more about as well. Today, we're going to be talking about what I believe to be one of the most important things when it comes to establishing a successful prosthetics practice, and that is patient communication. As we go through training, we are often blessed to learn fantastic surgical technique, but a lot of times what's equally important is learning how to communicate with patients both before procedures, during, and afterwards as they start to use their device and experience a life free from erectile dysfunction. Now, I am currently in practice at Urology of Indiana, where I'm the co-director for our Men's Health Center. This is a large LUGPA group with approximately 38 to 40 urologists at any given point in time. But today, I am joined by the fantastic and lovely Dr. Sharita King, who is the director of prosthetic urology at Medical College of Georgia, back in our old stopping grounds of Augusta, Georgia. And Sharita, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but you are literally the fastest penile implanter on the planet, right? Like maybe not when it comes to doing the case, but you are physically the fastest. Is that correct? I'm, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. I, and if anybody would like to challenge me, then we could totally take this to the streets at the next live AU, uh, AUA or SMSNA. I would love to see that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, so I am Sharita King. Um, I practice out of Augusta, Georgia. This is where I was raised. Um, I did I did undergrad at UGA where I ran track, and that's why I think I'm the fastest. And then I did my medical school and residency here at MCG. That's where or the Medical College of Georgia. Um, that's where I met Alex uh, when he was a student and I was a resident. And then I went on to do my fellowship in San Diego with Erwin Goldstein, where I focused on men's and female um, sexual dysfunction. Um, So from that, I came back to Augusta, where I am practicing at the Medical College of Georgia and the VA, which is right across the street. Fantastic. And for those of you that, that don't know, uh, Sharita's being uh, humble, but she was also a record-setting uh, uh, track and field star back in her days at uh, UGA, where we both hailed from, actually. Yes, long, long ago, long ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, something that I, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about tonight, because I think it's something that is so critically important. Um, it's something that you really, uh, I think you really specialize in, especially with your fellowship training, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll be honest, I did not get any of in residency, that's for sure. And even yeah. in fellowship, I mean, really didn't get a whole lot of, uh, which is, you know, communication skills with patients, because I think that, 
you know, you come out of training, even if you've done a fellowship in sexual medicine and you're like, man, I'm going to tear it up. This is going to be awesome. And then you get in a room with a patient and you realize that this is an entire art form that, mm-hmm. oh man, this is a different ball game. Yeah, absolutely. It is a different beast. And it's very important that you learn how to communicate properly with your patients and effectively. That way you're more apt to get them from the clinic into the operating room. And not that we're trying to be like you car salesmen or anything and like trying to be out here pushing things onto people, but getting them to really realize that, okay, you're at the point where it's time and have them understand that it's okay, that it's time. You need to convey what we know as prosthetic surgeons, which is, you know, the PNL implant is the gold standard for the management of erectile dysfunction, hands down. There's not a single other mm-hmm. intervention that has the patient satisfaction, the partner satisfaction, longevity. I mean, just the fantastic results. Nothing comes even remotely close, uh, but trying to explain that in a fashion that uh, connects with a patient and gets them just as excited about the solution as you are. I mean, that's something that I would argue is, you know, just as complex as, you know, the surgical technique itself. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And that's one of the things that I really um, honed in on even during residency, I try to like figure out my talk track. Like, how am I going to get this patient to feel comfortable with me? Because if you look at the space of urology and most of the patients that come in, especially me doing men's health and uh, IPPs, I don't look like any of those patients. Um, I'm a female. And I will tell them, I'm like, yes, I can give you the ins and outs of the surgery, but I don't even own a penis. So let's, let's be honest about it. But me being able to effectively communicate and tell them like, this is your disease process. This is why I think you, these are your treatment options. And this is why I think A, B, or C is better for you. And then go from there. And once they understand and they feel comfortable and um, they understand their disease process, I feel like it helps them buy into it. And then they're less fearful of proceeding onto this. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, look at the IPP as like a final last ditch effort, which is fine. Like if you want to try everything else and go through the gambit, go for it. But it's not like they they act like it's like the purgatory, like it's the end. Like if they go here, then it's just going to be horrible afterwards. I'm like, actually, it's going to be a lot better because you like it'll give you the spontaneity back. It's going to allow you to be able to have intercourse whenever you want, as long as you want. And I, I think it's a great modality. So, but what is yes. that? What does that conversation look like? You know, how does that? How does that begin? So, for me and my clinic, I just tell them like, okay, so there's three main things that I look at for the treatment of penile of um, erectile dysfunction, and we start with pills. When pills don't work, then don't despair. There's still two other things we can try. The next thing is injections, and my gateway for them are, is is to do the penile Doppler exam. I think it's very important. This is something that Dr. Lewis instilled into me. And we discuss um, why it's important to get the penile Doppler. Number one, it helps you if you ever have to do an appeal with their um, insurance company. It's great. You can be like, look, they have arterial insufficiency. They have venoclusive disease. And nothing else is going to fix this other than the penile implant surgery. 
Um, the other thing is that it shows a patient and it gives them a concrete information that they can look at and be like, okay, this is why my penis is not working. But so many people come in and just want an answer as to why am I, why am I going through this? Why is this going on? I can't always give them the exact like pinpoint reason as to why, but I can show them the process that's going on now and why they're not able to get and maintain an erection. So I think that's yeah. very important. And then depending on that, we either try different injection therapies or we move on to talking about the penile implant. And then from there, some people, you'll talk to them and it'll completely look like deer in the headlights. Like, oh my God, like I don't, surgery, yeah. I don't want surgery, especially people who have had prostatectomies because they're like, I just went through surgery and look where I ended up. So you have to like dispel the myth. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is that when a patient looks at them like, oh, surgery, absolutely not. They just shut down the conversation. It was like, okay, well, we'll go back to these other things. I like to make sure that they tell me exactly what they are scared of. So tell me, like, so you, you're saying absolutely not, no implant, but why? What is your fear about it? Because everybody's a little bit different, right? Because some people is the size. They're like, oh my God, like, I heard it's going to make me so much shorter. Um but is it really going to make you shorter or are you shorter because you've had erectile dysfunction for a prolonged period of time? Like, let's be honest. Like, yes, there is some shortening in there, but most of it's because you have this idealistic thing, like uh, image in your head of what your penis used to be when you were 18 and 20. Right. I can't get you back there. I wish I could because I'd be super rich. Um, but what I can do yeah. is make your current shaft erect. And that's better than what you got now. Because otherwise you're stuffing it. So, so Sharita, during that first visit, you know, a uh, patient comes in, you know, they meet Dr. King, um, you know, you start to get their story a little bit. Uh, I mean, do you even mention the implant during that first visit? Um, it depends on like what they're saying their function is with the um, pills. Because if they're like, you know, I kind of get a little bit and they're not really just getting fullness, then yes, we go through the whole gambit. Um, if they're saying like, you know, I get a good erection with sildenafil, but I just have a headache. Then we're talking, we're, we're on more of the scale of talking just about like, let's switch you up to something where you'll have less side effects with the medication that you're taking. Um, so that's how I go through it. What about you? What do you do? You know, for me, it's a little bit different. I mean, I completely agree that, you know, the gold standard for the diagnostic workup of ED, you know, is a penile duplex, you know, but for myself, I came into a practice environment where I have a duplex, but it's at a different office and my partner actually has to do it. Now that's changing in the new year. Uh, I'm going to get you know, my duplex at, at my spot. We're going to get it stacked up. It's going to be fantastic. But I really had to adjust you know, my entire patient education process uh, because of that. I've definitely, I will send guys if they have a challenging case, if there's something a little bit funny. And I've actually, I've been really grateful for having it uh, there. But, you know, for me, um, I have uh, the, the way that a visit works for me is that before the patient even comes in the room, I actually have them fill out a, uh, a sheet that asks every single question that I would ever ask about their history of, you know, ED. I go everything from how long has this been going on? What have you tried? What, have, what has failed? Have you had your prostate out? Have you had radiation? Have you had any hernia surgeries uh, to make sure I don't forget that so that I'm not kicking myself when I'm trying to put a reservoir in, you know, two months yeah. from there? Um, but I also include some questions about their spouse, you know, uh, or their uh, partner, you know, whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, because my goal is, uh, at least as a guy in private practice, is I want to try and dedicate all the time in the room to connecting with a patient because there is such a 
There's such yeah. a time crunch nowadays. You know, you got to be mm-hmm. seeing, you know, 25, 30 patients a day if you want to try and keep That's up. That's and, <laughs> and Yeah, right, right. You know, yeah. uh, yesterday, I mean, I was, you know, over 30 yesterday. I mean, I was running around like a, like a chicken with my head cut off. But, yeah. uh, you know, and there are a lot of pressure, pressures and reasons why that, that's kind of our reality. But for me anyways, you know, if I've only got, let's say, 10, 15 minutes in the room, I want that 100% dedicated to connecting to that patient on a personal mm-hmm. level rather than kind of staring at my computer, typing down, you know, all of these objective, you know, uh, bits and pieces. Because I'm always yeah. running a few minutes behind anyway, so it's not a big deal for them to write down all these answers in the waiting room. So, you know, I walk in and I, uh, I address them by their first name. I introduce myself as Alex Tatum. I, I don't call myself Dr. This, Dr. That. I don't think I've worn a white coat since I was uh, in medical school yeah. or, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, you know, Jim, what's going on, man? You know, I hear we got a problem with the plumbing. And most guys, you know, yeah. I, I think they're just so taken aback by someone calling them by their first name, introducing themselves by that. They just kind of let their guard down. And, you know, we just, we just talk for a little bit. And, um, I am, I actually do mention the implant during the first visit, you know, after guys kind of give me a little bit of background, I say, Hey, listen, has anybody ever explained ED to you? Has, has anyone ever taken yeah. the time? And, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, you know, guys have never. tried never, never. They throw these pills around like they're freaking candy, you know, their PCP yeah. or whatever the case may be. And patients don't understand. They don't know why it gives them a headache. They don't know why this one, you know, doesn't work or they take the blue one and, you know, happens faster, but then it's over sooner, but they take the, you know, a different colored one and it lasts longer. You know, it's a, and it's this big black box for them. And so usually, you know, about, you know, two minutes into the encounter, I just get out, I've got a couple pads of paper in every room. I say, Hey, listen, man, at the end of the day, your penis is just three tubes. You pee through one of them. You already know about that. And you've got two inflatable cylinders that start in the pelvis and go out through the shaft. And that's all your erections are. Orgasm, sensation, ejaculation, those are all different lanes in the same highway, man. We are just talking about erections. I say the penile artery is the smallest functional artery in the human body that doesn't have a backup. Don't blame me. Blame the engineer and the guy who put it together. You know, you got backups for everything else. But when your penile artery goes down, man, you're either going to get insufficiency, you're not getting enough inflow, or God forbid, your pop-off valve is busted and you're going to get too early outflow. And guys yeah. seem to really connect, at least, you know, with my, with my market and with my guys in my community, they really like, they're like, oh, it's hydraulics. That's all it is. Yeah. And, you know, and that seems to really connect with them. And all of a sudden there's this aha moment because no one's ever explained it to them. So many people um, get this complex where I am the doctor and I am better. And I too do not wear a white coat. One, it messes up a lot of my sweaters and it makes it peel. So I rather not wear one and just be jazzy at work. And that's just me, but it also helps me to connect more with that patient. Cause then they don't have that white coat syndrome because, um, again, I'm trying to connect with them even more than you probably would have to just because I'm female, right? And then on top of that, I need to show them that I know this disease process. So we break it down. And again, I have them explain to me what they're having going on. And then I try to use their same language to them. Because when you talk over to a patient and they feel like you're just throwing a lot of doctor terms at them, you're saying, oh, you have you know, occlusive disease or you have arterial insufficiency. They're like, what in the world are you talking about? So for you, whenever a patient goes for a penile duplex, that is actually done in the radiology. Yes. 
Yeah, it's done in radiology, and then they come up and see me, and then we go through everything. And then based off of that, we dis- we, we have a decision path. Like, either you want to try injections, and there's some people who are absolutely like, I want to save surgery as last resort. And then we'll just try injections. It'll just be the strongest strength that we have um, to see if it'll work. And then after that, the, they usually will end up at the um, IPP path if they so choose. Again, I'm not trying to push anything on anybody. I want everybody to be happy with their choices. I don't want to feel like I'm trying to make them do something. Another thing that I really try to do is make sure that they bring their partners along um, to the appointments. Right. If they don't bring them to the first one, I make sure that we talk about it. If you have a partner, and, uh, and I'll back up. So from partners, I always make sure that I do not assume what their orientation is because I cannot tell you how often that is done and that will completely alienate a patient and then your communication is shut down even in Augusta Georgia yes because you have to you I yeah because like if you if you don't like I I usually will try to listen and pick up cues and I'll say hey are you in a relationship and try to pick up cues from there but I never assume I never say hey um like if they say they're married, I never will be like, oh, so how old is your wife? Or, you know, like something to to sit to to try to push them towards being um, having a wife rather than a husband, because I don't know. And I don't want to alienate anybody. And you definitely will scare off um, a homosexual patient if you just assume that they have a heterosexual partner. Absolutely. Yeah. So I encourage them to bring a partner because it's a couple's disease. Erectile dysfunction is not just you, right? Like, yes, if you are self-stimulating and that's how you you decide to use your erections, then that's fine. Then it is just you. But typically, you are going to use that erection with another partner. Um, and it's usually between two people. And if they have a partner where they're in that type of relationship, then I encourage them to bring them because I think it helps um, add another um, layer of support to the um, to the conversation because it is a tough conversation to have. Be like, listen, you're aging, you know, your penis is changing, unfortunately, and these are the reasons why. So that way, they don't feel like, oh, I'm I'm less than, and also to help the partner feel that they're not less than because a lot of times partners will look at their um, look at them and be like, well, are, am I not desirable? Is it me? Do you not want me? Are you stepping out on me? And in this way, I can show them concrete evidence. Like, listen, this is what's going on with your partner. And it's not you. He still desires you. It's just that he has a mechanical issue that we need to fix and address. Yeah. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite things to do is uh, uh, whenever they come in for the the second visit, and again, my pathway may be a little bit uh, different, is I'll walk in. And a lot of times I always write whether or not the spouse was, was there. Um, but if I'm walking yes. in and 99 times out of a hundred, if it's a, you know, uh, a heterosexual couple and I walk in and his wife's in there and if I can just kind of get a look and I can tell that she's, you know, kind of, uh, got a good sense of humor, I'll walk in and I'll talk to her before I even talk to the patient again. I'm like, man, he mm-hmm. is busted. Ain't he? I didn't know. He, you know, and she'll just start laughing and she's like, he's busted in more way than one. I'm like, we got to yeah. get him fixed, man. Cause you're stuck with him. How long you been married? Like, oh, you know, 20, 30 years. I'm like, you think it's going to keep? You think it's going to take? And they're like, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm stuck with them at this point. I'm like, well, we might as well get them fixed. 
And uh, I think that, you know, directly engaging the, the partner, uh, especially if they weren't there for that first visit, is just so important because, you know, the partner, I, I tell guys, if they come to see me for that first visit, I say, uh, listen, man, you know, if I know that they've got, if they're, they've got a, a wife or, or home, or even if it's their, their boyfriend or whatever the case may be, I'm like, listen, man, you're going to go home. And your wife is going to think that you just talked to the craziest doctor ever. He's going to be like, what does this doctor <laughs> want to do to you? What does he want to put what, where? And yep. I tell I was like, I was like, absolutely. I expect that. And so, but because I don't have like the duplex readily available, what I've done is I've created a bunch of YouTube videos, a bunch of educational content that, you know, patients have. So I'd say, listen, you're going home with a homework folder, buddy. I'm going to make you mo more intelligent and more well-read on erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm than any of the other, you know, urologists in this area. You're going to know more about it than, than any of my partners by the time you come back. And I want you to show your wife, uh, show your partner my videos. I want her to see my face. I want her to hear my voice. I want her to know me. And then that way, you know, she doesn't know, she knows that I'm not too crazy. I'm a little crazy, but, you yeah. know, that way, she, <laughs> that's the way, you know, we can have a connection and she can, you know, get to know me before that first visit. And for me, that's been hugely helpful, especially when they don't bring the partner to that vi first visit and you're not able to yeah. make that connection off the bat. Yeah, I agree. Because like if you engage that partner, you're more likely to not have a cancellation because the partner is like, absolutely not. We are not doing these things. Um, then if, if they feel like they're included into the conversation, because who's going to be taking care of them other than that partner, honestly, right? Yeah. And they're just thinking about the long-term effects from it. I also um, think I would say um, doing my fellowship with Dr. Goldstein is that I did learn female sexual dysfunction. So if they do have a female partner, right, most of these patients are, what, 50, 60, 70-year-olds. So their partners are probably going to be around the same age. And if they're about the same age, they're going to have their own issues. And then I'm able to kind of bring that in to treat them because your patient will have a better satisfaction, a better outcome in the long run if they're able to have a partner that they can have intercourse with. Because if they can't, then you're just giving them an implant and then a lot of times they don't even use it. Uh, when it comes to the, the the length conversation, you know, penile stretch test, I mean, what, is that, what does that look like for you? When, at what visits are, are you doing that? What language do you use? How does that go down? Um, so I typically will do that in, like once we're really starting to talk about the penile implant and they're really like, OK, so tell me about it. And they seem more engaged because I don't want to scare them again, scare them off and be like, OK, drop your pants. I'm going to pull your penis out as hard as I can and I'm going to put a measuring tape up to it like that will scare yeah. most men. And then to have a female come to them and tell them that then they're like, ah, no, absolutely not. So once we get to that point where they're like, OK, I'm, I'm seriously considering this and I show them, I'm like, listen. I can't make you have, again, I can't get you to the erection you had at 18 or 20, but I can make your current stretch length when it's flaccid. That, that's what I can give you. Get that erect. Um, and then we, they're like, okay, so what does that mean? So that's when we get into like, okay, let's do some measurements here. And then I pull out, I have like, it depends on which clinic I'm in. If I'm at the VA, my, um, one of my PAs bought some, it's so funny, some like flexible rulers and they work yes. amazing. They are awesome. And they're, and they're like transparent. So the patient can like see and they can see like where their penis like ends on the um, on the ruler. And then over at MCG, I just have a paper ruler. So I just stretch it, measure it. Um, I record it. And in that way, I'm also protected 
So if they ever come back and be like, I was 12 inches before and now I'm six inches, I can go back to the record and be like, mm, actually, sir, this is what you were. Um, and then we go from there and talk about, OK, so this is what it looks like. That's not all you're getting because there's going to be some internal. And we also have the discussion. So another measurement that I'll do, I'll do like so I do pubic bone to the tip. I do pubic bone to mid glands because that's where it's actually going to end so they can understand that. Your the head of the penis or the glands will not get erect with this. And then yeah. if they have a big mons, I would do from mons to tip. So they then I can show them, okay, if you lost this X amount of pounds, you're gonna gain this much penis. And then we can have that converse that that real conversation about, you know, unfortunately your stomach is eating your penis and it's looking shorter. So the more weight that you lose, the longer your penis will look. And you'll be able to penetrate better. You'll have better intercourse. Your your partner will be happier. You'll be healthier overall and have that good conversation with them. So that's when I try to incorporate it. Are you doing it like at the beginning or do you wait until it's about like pre-op time also? You know, it, it can depend. I do the stretch test on everybody and mm -hmm. uh, I tend to do it sooner than later. Um, so what I will typically do is whenever I t give my quick little talk track explaining, you know, ED, I, I tell them, I say, Hey, listen, you know, ED is not a light switch. It is not, I have amazing hard ons and now I don't have any, you know, erectile dysfunction is a progressive terminal vascular disease. Okay. Mm -hmm. I told you, you know what terminal means? It means it ain't going to get better on its own. Okay. Yeah. And not only does it hurt your ability to achieve erections, you're going to get progressive scarring of that smooth muscle tissue of that spongy tissue that gives you your erections. That is going to get tighter because I'm willing to bet. And at that point in the conversation, while I'm talking about it, I say, all right, stand up, drop your pants. And the guys, you know, kind of shuffle, they stand up and they drop their pants and I will take my shoe and I will stamp on their foot. And then I grab the head of their penis and I literally pull as hard as I can until they start yeah. to fall towards me. And I said, look down. I'm like, that is the length of your penis today. Okay. How big was it, you know, 20 years ago? And they're like, oh, it used to be like this. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I bet it is. But this is the length of your penis today. And what's going to happen if you come back to see me a year from now? And I push it back in. I was like, this is what erectile dysfunction is. It is a progressive terminal disease of your penis that is eating away at what you got. Yep. And so if you care about penile size, if you care about maintaining your length, maintaining your girth, the absolute best thing you can do is to get your erectile dysfunction cured, not treated, cured. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and I, and before surgery, I always tell guys, I'm like, Hey, listen, I am putting in, I, I remind them of the stretch tests. If I did it previously, I do it again. If, uh, they're coming to see me and I yep. haven't done it previously. And I, I will pull it and I say, this is the size of your penis. And they're like, oh, well, what about this? I'm like, no, this is the size of your penis. You know how I know? Because mm -hmm. if I yank this thing any harder, it's coming off of You're my hand. Fall. Okay. Yep, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, oh, oh, I was like, and so you, I was like, you need to know that I care about you getting the best outcome possible. Do you trust me? And they're like, yeah, I, I trust you. Because hopefully by that point, we've developed that rapport. And I say, well, I need you to trust me that I'm going to put in the biggest possible device that your body could handle. If I put in anything bigger than that, you are going to be in excruciating pain. But if you yep. get this device 
and you start working this thing and you inflate this with two thumbs as hard as you can, and you're doing this twice daily and stretching this as much as you can, your implant, we know that the BioFlex cylinders, you know, will grow. Okay. We, we know that. We know that the inflatable three-piece penile implant works as a tissue expander and mm-hmm. patients can get a little bit back if they're dedicated to it. And that entire time, they're just reinforcing that mechanism of pumping and deflating and learning their own anatomy. And so I think that that, at least in my practices, help guys get buy-in. I'm like, listen, I can give you the surgery. I can give you the best you know, implant possible, but it's up to you to try and get the best final outcome when it comes to working it afterwards. Yeah, no, absolutely. And another thing I would say is that if, if I have a patient who, say, got on my schedule and then canceled for one reason or another, and then they come back for like three to six months, sometimes a year later afterwards, I will redo that stretch penile length. So that way they can see like, if you would have got this done, cause I had a patient who had pretty progressive Peyronie's disease. Um, and I was like, if you would have got this done when we first put you on, you would still have an extra two to um, three centimeters right now, but now you are shortened even more. And then uh, again, just showing them that, you know, like this is progressively going on. This is not going to get better. If we did better with managing expectations, our patients will be happier and have a better outcome. Cause that is one thing I really try to change about, um, the way that, uh, the practice was run, especially over at the VA here is that um a lot of the pas have like a nasty taste in their mouth because like even me as a resident i'd push these implants not like you know like try to get people to get these implants but really didn't understand all the backstory of it and like how i should be talking to them and how how i need to get them to buy into it how i need to get them to understand that their penis is already shorter and this is what you have currently and this is what i can make correct and then they come back and they're like totally pissed off and i wasn't in clinic all the time it was the pas and they're like like this patient is pissed because his penis is shorter, quote unquote. But that's why if you manage those expectations up front, I feel like you will have better outcomes. And then a happy patient is the best advertisement you will ever have, ever, 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 ever. Because if you hear Paul Frito talk about it, he's like, listen, I have men out on my balcony showing off their goods to the other patients. And then they're like, shoot, sign me up when they get back there in the room. And I think that is the most important thing is manage those expectations, have a happy a patient, and then they will go out and, and scream your name from the from the mountain tops, I think. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that uh, I was uh, talking to uh, another uh, another doctor a little while ago and, you know, they're talking about building your practice and digital presence and social media, Instagram. And I told him, I was like, you know, I, uh, I put a lot of effort in there for a while, uh, posting for a long time, like daily to Instagram, but it was the middle of COVID. I didn't have anything else to do. I was on lockdown and Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I have never had one patient show up to for an implant because of a social media post. Now it's different than advertising. I have had some guys come back for that, but I have had so many more patients show up because their buddy got one, their mm-hmm. brother got one. I ha- I have a I have a primary care doc who's referred me three patients back to back for this. And the last patient I took care of, he's like, you know, doc, that primary, you know, my primary doc keeps on asking me about this. I think he's going to come see you. I mean, there is no. <laughs> There is no substitution for a happy patient. No, absolutely. I actually just had my first patient come and comment on my Twitter feed. And I was like dying laughing. And he was laughing about, um, he was like, oh, I loved your Prince reference. And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you know, when you were talking about Prince, that was Prince on the keyboard, right? And I was like, 
oh my, I knew exactly what he was talking about when he said that. And I was like, wow, like you're, you're the first patient who actually got into my Twitter and dissected it was like, I liked you from that. And then we got on the whole subject of Prince. But that, again, that is like trying to communicate and like build that rapport with that patient. Cause now I like, he's not that he's like sold, but you know, like, like we have a better rapport now that he'll feel more comfortable talking to me and he feels like he knows me. So after that, I, I'm going to try to be more invested and get back into the social media realm a little bit better because I did have a little hiatus. But yeah. today is the day. You mark my words. Alex. Today's I'm the gonna day. I'm going to be out there. Today is the day. <laughs> so, you know, something that I think is uh, really, uh, really important that I think we should talk about is kind of the language that we use when we're in the room. Because I, I one thing that was, really stood out to me was when I was a chief resident at our county hospital. And I was talking to a patient who uh, miraculously, I mean, he had coverage for an implant. He had been strung along for injections for years. And then I tried to talk to him about the device. And I said, oh, man, listen, we've got this great, you know, surgery that, you know, we can uh, do for you. You know, the incision is only about, you know, four centimeters long and, you know, only takes, you know, an hour and a half. And, you know, you spend the night in the hospital and all of a sudden, you know, this guy looks at me like I'm, you know, proposing to, I don't know, like dice him up, like carve him up like a turkey. And he was just yeah. terrified. And he he thought I was a madman because I was excited <laughs> and I was sharing this with him. And he's just like, this guy is, you know, is off his crazy. rocker. And so, yeah. He's crazy. He is crazy. He wants to do what to me? And so, um, you know, the the language that I use now is kind of radically different. And so when you describe the implant, when it comes down to a patient saying, hey, what is this implant thing all about? You know, what does that sound like? What words do you use? So typically I like to show them also. I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, the patient's going to be scared. But I feel like if they can actually see it and understand, because they're going to go look on Google anyway, regardless, believe like, well, some of my patients won't because they don't even have internet access. But some patients will be on Google. Like I've had patients come in and be like, I watched the surgery. I thought I wanted this until I watched the surgery. And I was like, why would you even do that? And then I try to demystify it. That's the main thing. And again, I try to use their words with them. And I'll tell them like, listen, on the grand scale of surgeries that I can do to a person, this is on the lower end of that. I send, send my people home day of surgery. They don't even have to stay in the hospital anymore. I like you're, you're going to be almost back feeling like, OK, I, I'm feeling all right after two weeks. I tell them I'm honest, like the first two weeks, you're going to curse my name. You're, you're not going to like me. But after that, and especially when you hit that six week mark where you're out having intercourse, you're going to love me. But we just have to get to that mountaintop. It's going to be a hike. Like, let's go on this journey together. And um, I'll just show them the implant. I use the website um, where I show them the um, animation first to show like how easy it is. And then I show them the actual patient video of them inflating the implant. So that way they can see, because a lot of people can't conceptualize that all of this is going to be inside of me. And they're like, well, what's going to be visible? Are people going to know? And that's when I show them the actual patient education video with the with the patient educator pumping up the implant. So that way they know like nothing's visible unless somebody touches you. They won't even know that you really have it. Um, and then we, I go from there. What about you? What 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 terms are you using now? Yeah. So um, what I uh, when I'm in, in, in introducing the implant to the patient then I'm going through my talk track. I actually don't mention the word implant until the very end. Like that is kind of like the 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 final, you know, uh, uh, climax, so to speak, of, of my mm -hmm. of my talk. 
I say, you know, uh, listen, you know, we can do these injections and, you know, which is the equivalent of trying to pour jet fuel into a V8 engine that's only got, you know, five uh, cylinders running, you know, or we just go ahead and we replace the engine block. But what does that mean? You know, at the end of the day, we say, let's go back to the drawing board. Okay. What if we could do minimally invasive outpatient procedure, two, three centimeter opening uh, in the skin, go ahead and slide our own inflatable cylinders inside your body's natural inflatable cylinders. Okay. All on the inside, completely concealed and visible and private. And then instead of having to rely on a pill or a shot or whatever the case is, I'm just going to slide the small pump underneath the skin. So nobody knows that it's there, but you, but when you want to, all you have to do is reach down, squeeze this pump through the skin. Then just as your body would normally have filled those cylinders with blood flow, that pump is going to fill them with saline. It is going to give you a rock hard erection. It's going to be the best hard on that you've had, you know, in 20 some odd years. And, uh, you know, for, for my guys, you know, I say, uh, Hey, listen, this is an outpatient procedure. I don't even give guys narcotics anymore. And that's not because I'm an amazing surgeon. It's because you don't need it. Okay. You know, Guys come back to see me, you know, go home, come back two, three days later, get your drain out, high five, okay? You're going to come back and you're going to have your teaching visit at three weeks, okay? You're going to pull your pump down. And I I tell guys, like, listen, because I'm primarily in for pubic now, you know, probably 95 98 plus percent of my cases. I was like, listen, you're going to pull your pump down. And the only pain you're ever going to feel is that one manly tear that comes to your eye. When you pull this pump down <laughs> to your knees, every time you got to take a leak and they're like, okay, doc, I'll, I'll do it. And then I was like, you're going to come back in the clinic. And then at three weeks, I'm going to teach you how to use this thing. Now I'm not saying that it's going to, it ain't going to hurt. All right. You're going to be a little bit sore, but this is a good kind of hurt. Okay. All right. You are going to work this thing and you are going to get a hard on three weeks from now, and you are going to be cleared to use it. Now you got to walk before you can run. Okay. You know, yep. you got to crawl before you walk. All right. walk. Don't, yep. be, don't be playing at any acrobatics that first night out. Okay. Yes. Otherwise you're just going to land on your face, man. Um, but I, I tell guys like, listen, and this is truthfully, you know, you know, well over half my patients, if not three quarters of them are, you know, using their implants, uh, you know, maybe a little cautiously, but they're using their implants at three weeks, you know? Nice. And so, and guys, guys like that. Cause they, the first thing they ask is, and I'm sure this is true for your patients too. It's like, well, when can I use it? Yeah, exactly. And then that's one thing I've had, um, some issues with patients where they're too eager to get back. And I'm like, listen, how long have you, how long has it been since you had an erection? Longer than the amount of time that I just told you, right? Okay. So we're good. You can, you can handle it again. This is this journey that we're going on together. Another thing that I would say that I also add into there is my patient educator. He's a gentleman. I did his surgery, I think it's like three years ago now. And I have him talk to almost everyone because it has helped so much. Because again, I don't own a penis. I can tell you the ins and outs of the surgery. I can tell you like the things you should do post-op, but he can tell you why you should do them because he's been through it. And he will tell them, I mean, like if you listen to Dr. King, you won't have pain. Because, like, now I'm doing, like, penile blocks. Again, I'm not really giving much narcotics. Um, and most people are comfortable. And once they see me at two weeks, they're up and they're, they're ready to start pumping. So um, I, I think it's very important to, like, build those things in. So, like, pre-op, they're ready. Post-op, you have, like, a system in place. Um, what are you doing post-op for patients? Because you said you do it same day. So how are you running your clinic based off of that? Yeah. So I do my surgeries either right now, either on a Wednesday or a Friday. If I do it Wednesday, drain comes out Friday. Uh, if I do it Friday, drain comes out Monday. 
obviously if I've got to keep the guy on Plavix or, you know, Coumadin, that's a different story, but, um, they come into clinic and, uh, they see my nurse, uh, shout out to Paul Jurgen, uh, my nurse who makes the mint cell center run. And, uh, you know, I tell, I tell my patients, I was like, listen, even if I'm not there that day, if I'm operating somewhere else, I was like, Paul has seen more penile implants than, you know, in the past year than any other urologist, you know, in, in the state mm-hmm. probably, you know, cause he is sees every single one of my patients. And so Paul will look at them. He'll take out the drain. Uh, if it looks good, if it's bruised, he'll err on the side of caution, text me, call me, probably leave it in. And then, uh, you know, the patient will come back a little bit next day or the day after to get it out. Um, so, uh, I will, uh, see the pa- if I'm there in clinic that day, I'll see the patient, give them a high five, yank the tar out of their pump, you know, make them reach for the ceiling just to emphasize, you know, what they should be feeling. And, uh, then, uh, they come back for their three week uh, teaching visit. And I tell them that they've got a golden ticket. They can come back to the clinic as many times as they need to, to, uh, uh, learn how to pump their device. I was like, come by whenever they come and they see Paul and Paul will have a 20, 30 minute teaching visit. I've told, I've told, uh, Paul and I've told doctors I've worked with, you know, uh, whenever we were first starting out, I taught Paul how the different pumps work and how you, you know, educate patients and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a education process, but now I think he's better at teaching patients how to use the pump than, mm-hmm. than I am. He's taught me some tricks. So, uh, I really owe, nice. owe a lot to him. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. That is awesome that you have that. So I don't have a nurse to be able to do my thing. So what I have adapted is that um so my implant surgeries thursday i'm at the va doing or and then friday i'm at mcg doing the or so from the va side what i'll have them do they'll go home they'll come to the nursing clinic the next day they'll remove the foley because i usually will let them go home with the foley just to keep them comfortable overnight and then they'll call the resident over to take a look at the drain and um if, if it's had a lot of output or if they're on um, some sort of anticoagulant, then I will typically have them like meet the um, resident on call somewhere on Sunday to get it removed. If, um, if it looks fine, and especially if they're from a long distance away, because I can't really keep them around Augusta for that long, I will just go ahead and remove it to make it simpler. Because I've tried to like have other practices or VAs that have them remove the drains and they, they're like, absolutely like, no, I'm not doing it. So I just had to modify and do the best that I could with what I had. If it's absolutely terrible. And I think like, you know, they need to keep it. Then I'll just be like, listen, I understand you live this far away, but I think it's best that you leave it in and come back and we'll just, we'll try to um, work something out from there. At MCG, what I'm doing is they'll go home, home health will see them on Saturday morning, take out their catheter. And then they'll come back Monday morning and my home health nurse, home health nurses are like awesome. Um, they've done really good. They, they keep me in the loop. They let me know. And then that frees up my clinic because like, yes, that, a 30 day, 30 patient day is really good. But sometimes I've hit 50, which is insane. So That's like, it's hard insane. to like, yeah, it's hard to bring somebody else in the clinic just to do that. Cause like, they're going to have questions and not that I don't want to ask their questions, but I want them to be able to get enough time to have, feel like they have a good interaction. Cause again, it's yeah. always about that communication with the patient. I never want them to feel rushed. So having them being able to have somebody come out to their home and meet with them and talk with them, it, I think it, it does add like an extra touch to that, to help that. Um, so yeah. that's what I'm doing now. 
So, you know, Sharita, have you ever found any use for, um, you know, any sort of like, you know, online, you know, communication or anything like that with patients? Like, uh, do you direct them to like do any research on their own between visits? Um, I typically will give them uh, the, the brochures for the implant. I will show them the website. Typically, I have like an iPad that I specifically take to the clinic. I haven't done it as much in the time of COVID just because of people touching stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'll have a, I have it in there, show them, and then they know how to navigate to it. Um, I do try to get them, there, there's a, um, I'm trying to, it's like a, like a pill pad that, that Coloplast has that they can, it has like a, a QWERTY code on it that they can snap with their phone. So if they have a smartphone, yep. then that's great. And then they can get to it that way. That way they can do their own research on their own also. So they don't feel like I'm trying to push stuff onto them. And again, I think that's where my patient educator helps out a lot because he will direct them to those um, things that they haven't done it. But uh, I've had like a lot of patients re more recently more because time of COVID, they had nothing else to do but research erectile dysfunction and how to treat it. Um, they are very well versed in the implant. They know all the ins and outs of it. They've watched the surgery for some of them, unfortunately, and they come in telling me about it. So I, I think I think it's important for them to be educated. And I, and I encourage that. I, I don't try to tell them, don't look at, don't look at Google because there's scary things out there because I mean, if they find something scary, I want them to be honest with me so we can talk about it and I can dispel it. And then we can try to like, again, demystify everything that's going on to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny uh, during the time of COVID. So I'd started to do a lot these, you know, videos and stuff before COVID really hit, uh, which, you know, I was, I was fortunate, but uh, I had a lot of guys that I met for the first time via telehealth. And then all of a sudden we started to get OR time back again. And I had some guys show up on the schedule because they'd want you know, they wanted penile implants. And I'm looking at my schedule a week ahead of time. I'm like, like, oh crap, I've never examined this guy. I was like, yeah. so I had to, I had to call him. I was like, Hey man, yeah, we're still on the books, but uh, you got to come see me tomorrow. And I came, yeah. brought them in the clinic for the the two day before, one day before, you know, exam. I'm like, nah, yeah. you're good. Good to meet you. Absolutely. And they're like, oh, I saw your videos, doc. This is fantastic. And so, you know, patients, I think if you just, if you connect with them, if you educate them, if you, you know, really empower them to, you know, seek out the information out, educate yourselves and uh, make the choice that makes sense, you know, to you. I mean, guys are, they're all over it. Like once they understand the implant, even remotely the way that we understand it, I mean, we can't keep them away. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I did have a couple of things. I was on the news <laughs> recently. Um, so I had a lot of patients come in like, oh, I saw you on the news. And I was like, I got to go see her. And I was like, great. Come on in. I would love to have you. Because I'll tell yeah. you, after COVID and um, us opening back up, my implant volume increased even more. And I swear, I think it's just because people were sitting at home looking at each other and was like, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> so, we need to get the situation fixed. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I, I think that is like the so silver lining, at least for my practice, um, as far as yeah. COVID goes. And so something that I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, wrap up with, because I think this is something that I have, I have learned that I need to be better about, which mm -hmm. is, you know, following up with patients after they've had their implant, after you think that they've got, you know, the hang of the pump, okay, they've had a couple of good teaching visits, you know, what does that visit schedule look like afterwards? Because I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll be honest. I saw a patient yesterday who I was very friendly with. He's an awesome guy. He was a little too motivated. He tried to use his implant at two weeks before I even saw him. And, oh, I know, right? 
yeah, it turned out fine. He did great. He did great. But, uh, you know, I had a conversation with him yesterday. I'm like, this is my first time seeing him in like six months because I did a surgery before COVID. We had kind of lost each other in the midst mm-hmm. of COVID, made it back to clinic. And, you know, he was a little disappointed in, in his implant. And I was shocked. Um, and then I examined mm-hmm. him and he's like, you know, I just, it's not that hard. This is, this is, you know, a, a problem. And all of a sudden I get down there and I pump it up. And he's like, holy crap, you know, this is, this is like nothing I've had, you know, before I wasn't doing that. And I wasn't doing a good job about following up with him specifically to make sure he's really got it. So how do you combat that? What, what do you do for your patients after you think they got it? Yeah. So I, like I said, I teach them at two weeks and then okay. the reason I, and I wait um, and have them come back in a month after that. I've, I've been burned by some patients who like to use their implants early. We've, we have yeah. a, a guy who is like a local legend around here. He has successfully explanted his own implant at least, I think three times where we had to go in because he tried to have intercourse too early. So we're like, I'm, I'm with the old school guys. Like I want, I want you inflating it. And if, if I think you're doing a well enough job and if I, if I, if I trust you, then I would be like, okay, in two weeks after this appointment, so in a month after surgery, then some of those guys, I will give the, um, go ahead to go ahead and try. Um, yeah. but everybody's going to see me at two weeks and six weeks. And I think doing those two visits and having them inflate, like, I want you to demonstrate to me how you inflate it at home. And then they do it. And then I'd be like, okay, this is what you need to do. And I, and I show them how I would do it. Um, and then that, I think that kind of just cements in their head that, listen, you're not going to break it. Cause a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, like, can I put too much fluid into it? Am I going to break it? Am I going to like, not like, you know, mess it up because, you know, I, and one thing I always tell them is that it's a mechanical device that can malfunction. And I think that gets into some people's heads. So I have to show them like, listen, you, you can use this device. Don't be afraid of it. Like if, if, if it wears out, we're going to put another one in and guess what? If you used it regularly, you'll get a bigger one the next time. So that's your silver lining. So to try to get them to understand that it's okay to use it. It's okay to pump it up. And I'd make sure like I use, um, like clues to them, like, Hey, I want you to inflate this until the point where it's tingling in your penis, where you start to really feel that stretch. And it's almost like, Ooh, that kind of hurts a little bit because I want them to really maximally inflate. So that way they're, they're getting that good stretch throughout the post-op period. So they're not getting any more shortening from the, um, from the scarring down after surgery. Yeah. Well, and uh, there's uh, one other thing that I wanted to, to pick your brain on and mm-hmm. uh, it has to do with kind of messaging you know, around the OR time. Cause I feel like a lot of guys will, you know, sign up for surgery. They're excited cause they're super pumped when, you know, you're in the room, they got a lot of positive energy, that sort of thing. Okay. Let's say they book surgery a month and a half out and then all of a sudden they walk outside and they kind of lose that momentum and they're like, Oh God, what did I just do? And so, you know, what does, you know, whenever, like with your post-op sheets or your uh, operative instructions, like, do you have one that you've put together yourself? Do you, you know, give that to them ahead of time? Does your nurse do that? How do, how do patients know what's coming or what to expect? Um, so I do have some sheets that have like some information on to, what to expect going into it and like things that I want them to do, like your hippoclins wash that I want you to start three days before a nipple sneeze, um, things like that are on there. Um, and then I'm very like hands-on with my schedule, like 
almost to the point, I think it drives some of my residents crazy because I know things before they know them. And they're like, how, how do you know these things? You're not even here all the time because I switch time across the street all the time. Um, but it, I, like if I, if I get an inkling, like, or like if I get alert saying that, hey, this patient's going to cancel, I will call them personally. Like I take the yeah. time and be like, listen, what's going on? Why are you concerned? Um, so as soon and I, and everybody knows in both hospitals that if a patient's trying to cancel, you need to let me know that some way or another, either tag me in a note, text me, email me or call me. Cause they're like, you, you, there's lots of ways to get in touch with me. I need to know these things so I can catch it before it gets to day of surgery. I have rarely had a patient come in where they just didn't show up for surgery. Um, and if it happens, it's something usually catastrophic that has happened. So I try to head that off at the past by, again, managing expectations, making sure that they feel comfortable with this decision, including their partners. Because a lot of times where I've had that, it was people who did not bring their partners in and they went home and was trying to explain, like, hey, this is what you're going to get done. This is what I'm doing. And they're like, mm, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then, unfortunately, I know, unfortunately, but I do become sometimes a bit of a therapist between the couples um, to try to get them to understand, like, he's not doing this just for himself. He's doing this for y'all as a couple and make sure that they're both um, excited about the um, implant going in. So I think if you if you try to have like like good sheets going into it, they understand what's going on and you just keep in, keep oh, lines of communication as long as they know they can get in touch with you, then I, I think you, you'll alleviate a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I really appreciate the personal touch of, uh, calling patients, especially beforehand. That's something that I certainly try to do. Uh, I'll be honest that as, as busy as things have gotten, um, it's, it's sometimes hard. If, a, if I know a patient's going to cancel, absolutely no question, you know, they're, they're going to get a phone call from me. Um, but you know, my way that I've tried to really mitigate that is trying to remove the, the mystery behind getting, you know, the implant, you know, mm -hmm. I tell guys, it's like, listen, I want this to be the most freaking transparent process you've ever gone through. This is going to yeah. be more transparent than any house you've ever bought, any car you've ever bought. Okay. This is going to be more transparent than any every doctor's visit. I got nothing to hide. And so something that I've done is, uh, I created probably the world's longest pre-op and uh, operative sheet, you know, handout that uh, I'll be honest, uh, it is, it is nine pages. But the thing is, is that, wow. I, yeah. <laughs> but you know what, what I was experiencing is that I had patients that were calling in, their wives were calling in with all of these mm -hmm. questions. Well, what do I do about this? And am I going to have a Foley catheter? Am I not, you know, when do yeah. I come back for this visit? Oh, you saw me at this office, you know, on the South side of town. Okay. But where do I come to get my drain out? Yeah. I had a situation when I first started where a patient showed up at the wrong place. And one of my partners was upset because my patient showed up to his clinic looking to get his drain out, which does not make a lot of friends. And so, yeah. you know, I, uh, I, I tell patients like, like listen, you're going to get, you know, encyclopedia, but you know, this is going to have everything that you could ever, uh, need. And it walks them through, you know, what, uh, medications. Cause I, I feel, I really like the non-narcotic protocol we've put together, but you know, patients need to have it explained very expressly. So I have all of that written out. I have a post-op summary written out so they know what, uh, what appointments are coming when, We've got a, uh, a what one month prior to surgery, one week prior to surgery, day before surgery, what to do afterwards, the address of the clinic they come to get their drain out, and mm -hmm. uh, at least for for me, you know, Mike, once I finally put that together and put it in place, our you know call volume went from you know up here to down here, and so that was 
really helpful for me as someone in private practice where you know you're trying to you know smooth this you're trying to streamline this as much as possible so yeah you know it's a uh, it's definitely a learning process though and i don't think i do anything the same today that i was doing 2 3 months ago or even like that you know yeah. i'm always pivoting learning you know kind of progressing and i think that's a a big takeaway too so yeah things I, it's, it's it's an ever evolving field no matter what so if you're not changing and adapting to what's new and what's going on now then you're just being stagnant and not giving your patients the best care i think yeah so sharita uh, tell me what's the moral of the story here. So, all right, we got to engage the partners, right? Okay. Yes, we got engage partners. We got to use the language the patient uses. Okay. Yes. We got, got to work on our own, our own language. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're not all talking right. over them. You want to make sure that they buy into their disease process. They understand it and they can recite it back to you. Cause then they're, they're going to have an investment into this and they're going to want to, you know, make their problem better. Um, I would also say, make sure you manage expectations up front so they understand what they're getting into and we're not selling them like a lemon car, um, off a used car lot. And then after that, just make sure you communicate and keep lines of communication up open leading up to surgery and even afterwards. Um, I would encourage using, uh, patient educators. I think that's like a huge yeah. valuable tool that um, Coloplast has. If you don't have one yourself, then they have plenty that you can use. Um, and then also if they go to the website, they can see different testimonials from patient educators and they can get mm -hmm. in contact with them based off of whoever they click with on their video. Um, and yep. then also um, Coloplast has another uh, um, app coming up. I think it's Sereno app, which is an, uh, like a, where you can record videos that you can push out to patients for pre and post-op care which I think is very important. Um, I am currently trying to get my backdrop so I can get that done because I, I have some videos out there on another platform, but I'm going to put some more onto that one so I can use that also. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shreda King, this is awesome. It was great to hang I know. out. I know. It was so good catch to catch up, up Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, the next in-person meeting. Fingers crossed. Las Vegas, baby. Let's make it happen. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening. Next time on Motivated for the Serious Implanter, SUI after prostate cancer treatment. While prostate cancer surgery can save a man's life, the potential for urinary incontinence afterwards can take its toll on quality of life. Join us as Dr. Nicholas Simbis and Dr. Pedro Maria discuss the prevalence of leakage post-prostatectomy and their approaches to treating SUI and getting prostate cancer survivors back to dry. This podcast has been developed in conjunction with Coloplast, who is compensating the physicians speaking on this podcast for their time. There are certain segments that they may personalize based on their own experience. To the extent the personalization goes beyond Coloplast's written materials, it should be recognized as the physician's medical opinions and not the opinions or endorsements of the company. This podcast is intended as a supplement to your own education and training and is not a substitute for your own medical judgment. The physicians have provided substantial time for this podcast. Thanks for joining us for this special podcast episode of Motivated for the Serious Implanter, brought to you by Coloplast. If you have any follow-up questions, tweet them with hashtag MotivatedMH to ColoplastMD, and our guest physicians will respond.